Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. What a month it's going to be for us. We're going down to Word of Life, Florida. We'll be down there for a week of ministry. And then we fly out to Arizona. We'll be in Arizona, New Mexico, and the western part, the panhandle part of the state of Texas, in about an eight-day, every single day conference meeting at night. You need to be praying for us. Uh, This old guy is going to have to get up and go every day. It's going to be an exciting experience, but uh, I need to make sure that God gives me the strength. That's the only way we any of us can go. Hey, by the way, Happy New Year to you. I hope you had a wonderful day, but uh, the new year was not over. I'm just praying that you'll have a blessed new year this upcoming year. This is a special program, a special edition of Prophecy Today. What is ahead in 2020? And when I start a conversation with Ken Timmerman in a moment, we're going to catch immediately what is ahead. It relates to what took place within the last couple of hours there in the Middle East, actually in Iraq itself, with the elimination by a United States military team, an elimination of the number one military man, possibly the number two guy in all of Iran, General Soleimani, and he's the man who headed up the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. And so immediately I text Ken. I said, change that agenda that I sent you. We've got to talk about this. Ken, this is an unbelievable story, isn't it? Uh, Jimmy, it's an earth-shattering story, if you wish, for U.S.-Iranian relations, I believe, for the future of the Iranian regime, and ultimately for the rest of the Middle East. Qasem Soleimani, the number one terror master in Iran, uh, was killed by U.S. forces, and with him goes a good deal of their apparatus, because he wasn't just an individual com- uh, commander. If there is such a thing as an irreplaceable man in the Iranian regime context, he's the guy. He is more important to the regime than the supreme leader, who actually is a nobody. He's a two-bit, uh, low-level, itinerant village preacher. At least those are his origins. He's not a religious scholar. Qasem Soleimani uh, was the man who inspired uh, Iranian terrorists who held their far-flung networks together, who built them new bases, and whom the regime always sent out to the front lines because they had nobody else. He is the irreplaceable man. He is gone, and the regime is going to be much, much weaker as a result of it. I read one of his quotes. They said, why don't you become president of Iran? He said, no, no, no. That's for somebody else. I'm just simply a military man, but a key military man. Why this attack? Why this elimination of Soleimani now? What Did Trump jump the gun, or what's the situation? Oh, no, he did not jump the gun. Soleimani has been in our gun sites and the Israeli gun sites for quite some time. But the traditionalist foreign policy analysts have always weighed in and won the argument by saying, well... You know, and you hear them, by the way, on CNN and elsewhere. Oh my gosh, this is going to cause a war with Iran. We can't do that. And what they're really saying, Jimmy, is this: Soleimani and his Kutzfars are killing our people every day. But that's okay. We can let them go ahead and kill them because if we dare to strike back, oh my gosh, they might kill more of our people. Well, President Trump took his sword to this Gordian knot and sliced through it and said, you know, 
it's about time that we actually did something that might prevent future attacks. I happen to agree with the president on this one. I think he is right. This is the kind of action that obviously gets the Iranians' attention. I believe this will deter future Iranian attacks. I think they will be cowed as a result of this, because any military leader who takes Soleimani's place, they've already nominated somebody, he knows we're watching, and he knows we can get him. And knowing those two things, I don't expect them to be very active against us. What about uh, the proxies? We've often had our conversation focused on the proxies uh, for the Iranian regime, Hezbollah, Hamas, Houthis there in Yemen. What about them? Are they going to be just kind of lingering out there, not knowing what to do, or are they going to get active as well right now with this elimination? Well, again, you hear these traditional so-called experts on foreign policy telling us to worry about the proxies. Oh, yes, they're, the Iranians are going to activate the proxies against us all around the world. You know, I'd like to, I have a little different take on this, Jimmy. I, I say the Iranians are so concerned about Lebanon that they're willing to fight for Lebanon to the blood of the last Lebanese. They care so much about the Palestinians, they're willing to fight Israel to the blood of the last Palestinian. But you don't see them sacrificing too many of their own people. Now, they've lost folks in Syria, it's true, uh, but uh, the, the number of people that they've lost, Iranians in Syria, has been perhaps in the hundreds compared to the thousands of Hezbollah fighters and the tens of thousands of Syrian government troops who have been killed. So I don't expect the proxies are going to be leaping to the front lines of this battle with the United States because they also can see what happens to people who do so. They get killed. You seem to be responding to my questions with the fact that the Iranians are going to think long and hard before they respond. Well, let's just suppose that uh, they are going to respond with some type of show of force. They, of course, in their eschatology, believe if they can bring a crisis to existence, and this is certainly could be a crisis, uh, that the Mahdi, the Messiah, could come into place and that's what their eschatology calls for. If indeed they do respond, when do you think that might happen? Will it happen uh, prior to the elections in 2020 in November, or when do you think it might take place? Well, Jimmy, you're absolutely right about their eschatology. Uh, uh, 100% correct. This has been driving them for decades, uh, this belief that a big crisis, a major war, will bring about the return of the Mahdi. But let me also point out a couple of facts that uh, would counter or temper that a little bit. Look at Ayatollah Khomeini, the founder of the Islamic regime in Iran. This was the man who started the chance death to America in 1979. This is the man who started this war with Saddam Hussein, who believed that that might bring about the return of the Mahdi. Do you recall how he died, Jimmy? He died of old age in his bed. Uh, okay? He was not a suicide bomber. And the political and religious leaders of Iran live to very, very ripe old ages. They send out young kids to commit suicide or to go to mm -hmm. the front lines. They mm -hmm. don't do it themselves. So I believe that they are going to have their actions tempered by a fear of U.S. Uh, retaliation. Now Israel has to be concerned. Uh, the prime minister of Israel cut short a 
a very important conference that was taking place in Cyprus just the last couple of days, returned home because the United States is the big Satan, Israel the little Satan. Israel had better be on alert, had they not? Well, of course Israel has to be on alert, and I fully expect that the IDF uh, will be so. They're going to be monitoring the activities at all of these Hezbollah bases that they know about, uh, both in Lebanon and in Syria. You may find in the next couple of days some preemptive strikes by Israel as well to some of those bases. We watched, of course, all the late-breaking news. This elimination or assassination, whatever you want to call it, actually took place at the airport there in Baghdad, Iraq. What about Iraq? How are they going to respond? Are they going to play into the game plan for the Iranians? Are they going to try to stay with the United States? What are your thoughts about that? Well, Iraq right now is up for grabs. And you've seen in the past couple of weeks there have been massive popular protests against what? Against corruption of the Iraqi regime and against the Iranian presence in Iraq. The Iraqi people are fed up with the Iranian presence. Uh, I think this attack on the U.S. Embassy, which is what led up to the counterstrike that killed Qasem Soleimani, I think this attack on the uh, American Embassy was a huge error on the part of both the Iranians and certain people in the Iraqi Shia community, including, by the way, a former Prime Minister, Al-Amiri, who Obama welcomed to the White House when he was president. Al-Amiri was out there with the demonstrators burning an American flag, and just six years earlier, he'd been in the White House with Barack Obama. I think they made a huge mistake. I think they've overstepped, and I think the Iraqi people, just as, by the way, I believe the Iranian people, are going to rise up against this Islamic tyranny that both are being subjected to. And I would think that Russia is going to play a role in all of this. They gave Iran the technology technicians to develop that nuclear weapon of mass destruction. They invited them into Syria. Russia is going to have a role, don't you think? Of course Russia is going to have a role. They are directly involved uh, in Syria on the ground with military force. They have become a strategic ally of Iran, but Putin is a rational actor, in my opinion. Uh, Putin is not out to provoke, to start a war with the United States. He really does not benefit from that, but he is jockeying for power, jockeying for influence. And let's not forget, Putin is very happy if the price of oil goes up, because after weapons, that is Russia's only export. So you can expect Putin to be lighting fires in other people's backyards, but I don't expect him to be confronting the United States militarily. What do you think the main headline is ahead for 2020? And, you know, do we have an idea? <laughs> well, Jimmy, if I just project what's happened in the past 24 hours, I think this is going to have major repercussions for Iran, for Iraq, for Israel, for Syria, for the entire region. Uh, and I think we're going to see the weakening of the Iranian regime and potentially its overthrow. I've never not said that on these airwaves before. But potentially it's overthrow. I feel it's closer now than at any point in the last 40 years. And God's Word plays a key role in that. Read God's Word to see what's ahead in 2020 and until the rapture does take place. Hey, Ken, thank you so very much. I know you're a busy man with responding to the organizations you write for, so uh, we'll let you go. Thank you. We'll talk again next week. Thanks so much, Jimmy. You'll see my stuff on my website, kentimmerman.com. It'll be at the, the New York Post also on Sunday. God bless We're going to take a break, and when we come back, going to the Middle East to see what David Dolan says the response in Israel may be to the assassination of Soleimani. 
That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Just how close are we to the rapture of the church? Do events taking place in the Middle East and around the world have prophetic significance? In his latest book, Sound the Trumpets, Jimmy DeYoung examines these questions and explains just how near the rapture of the church could possibly be. By comparing four trends from prophetic scripture to current events taking place in the world today, Jimmy shows that the stage is set, every actor is in place, and the curtain is about to go up on the end-time scenario set forth in the scriptures. Sound the Trumpets is a must-read for every serious student of Bible prophecy. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's new book, Sound the Trumpets, for only $15, call us today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us on the World Wide Web at prophecytoday.com. Call today and make sure to get your copy of Sound the Trumpets. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. VCY America, who carries our broadcast, it's one of the major networks across the United States, Christian networks. Uh, they have a brand new facility in Phoenix, Arizona. It reaches all of Arizona, much of New Mexico, and the panhandle of Texas. We're going to be traveling there for eight days each and every night. I'll be speaking. Pray for us as we do travel to Arizona. It's going to be quite an interesting month, and so glad that you could join us at the beginning broadcast in the new month in 2020. Happy New Year to all of you in case I've missed that opportunity. And David Dolan is the man standing by. David, Happy New Year to you, my friend. And to you as well, Jimmy. I have, of course, been focusing with our broadcast partners and will do so on the assassination or the elimination of Soleimani, who is the general in charge of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard in Baghdad there at the airport, seemingly by the United States military, some form or team of them taking him out. Now, the Prime Minister of Israel was in Cyprus for a very important meeting about a pipeline for natural gas being delivered to Europe, but he cut short that meeting. What's the concern of the Prime Minister and the State of Israel with this elimination of this high-ranking Iranian military man? Well, Jimmy, uh, Qasem Soleimani is really the leader of Iran. I mean, uh, not officially. It's Ayatollah Khamenei, 
but Soleimani is the military leader. He has been a key factor in everything they've been doing for the past several decades. The head of the Al-Quds, which is, of course, the Arabic name for Jerusalem. It means the holy, the Al-Quds Revolutionary Forces. He's the senior commander of that, was, and uh, has been responsible, as President Trump has pointed out, and Mike Pompeo has pointed out, and others, for the deaths of hundreds of Americans in Iraq mainly, but in other parts of the region. He's the man that's been responsible for Iranian forces massing in Syria to the north of Israel. He is considered to be Israel's greatest enemy. And so his uh, assassination, his death at Baghdad airport, ordered and carried out by the United States, is a massive game-changer, is a major event for sure. And Prime Minister Netanyahu just recognizing that now probably, and Jimmy, I say this gravely but seriously, now probably the showdown militarily with Iran that Israel has been expecting for many years with the Iran clandestinely building nuclear weapons or moving towards that very close to it now, all the things that have been going on, we could spend 15 minutes and not even touch upon the things that have happened connected to this man and the Al-Quds force. But he is a major factor in the whole Iranian revolution, in everything they've been doing, and his assassination, his death, is indeed a major factor that will probably leave us at full war with Iran. Now, you know, I say that again gravely and seriously because that is something that we don't know what will take place. I tend to think, and I've been saying this for some months on your program, actually for some years, we tend to underestimate Iran and what they have the capability to do. They have Hezbollah forces all around the world. They are strong in Central America. They have cells in America. We are at war, Jimmy, and the Israelis realize it. The Americans realize it. President Trump didn't do this lightly. I'm sure this man should have probably been taken out many years ago. He wasn't. And the Al-Quds force is a major force, and we will now see whatever Iran does to respond to this. But definitely we're in a new era. And uh, Happy New Year, well, I'm not so sure that's going to apply. Yes, that may not be a good uh, statement to be making. I guess it goes without saying, the Israeli Defense Force ready to respond and protect the Jewish people, aren't they? Well, Jimmy, again, I've pointed out so many times on your program and in my talks, uh, um, by the way, I, I hope you're blessed and stay upright in Phoenix. <laughs> You'll be fine. But uh, <laughs> I've pointed out for some time now that Israel has no beef with Iran. Israel did not start this. Iran is not on Israel's borders. Well, yes, they are, but that's because they have sent, and Soleimani was very much involved in that, they have sent their forces into Syria. They have set up a militia. I was there in the early 80s in Lebanon, the Hezbollah militia. In Lebanon, they have another militia that uh, the leader of it was killed in this same attack in Iraq. They have forces in Yemen. They have forces in the Sinai. They support Hamas. They support Islamic Jihad. 
They are all around Israel. They have declared war against the Jewish people, just as ancient Persia did. And you and I know this is all prophesied in the Bible, that in the end days, Persia or Iran, the modern version of that, would once again be a major enemy of Israel. And that's what's happened, not because Israel's invited it or wanted it, nor did we in the United States ask them to take over our embassy in Tehran. You remember that? You and I are old enough to have been alive when all that was taking place. Nor did we ask them to attack our embassy in Baghdad, nor did we ask them to kill our forces there, nor did we ask them, and I was there for this, when U.S. Marines, 241 Marines were killed. Jimmy, I was there in South Lebanon when that happened, Mm. and that was also Iran. These people have made themselves an enemy of America and of Israel. They have declared war against us. You know, it takes, I've said it so many times, it takes uh, two parties to make peace. It just takes one to make war. And the uh, long-pending war with Iran has apparently begun. The action, I believe, that the president took was justified. This man was pure evil. We know in the scripture this is going to happen. It's here, and we need to be lifting up our leaders in prayer they need it at this hour very, very much. And prayer is an absolute. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Pray for those in higher authority. David, I appreciate your emotion there when you were talking about the Marine barracks there in Lebanon and when it was taken out. And you, as a journalist, they're covering that story. It's good to see that uh, you're a real person. You're not just a reporter. And and these types of things can play on your heart and life as well. So I appreciate that emotion. Hamas there and Islamic Jihad, they're going to be on top of this. They're going to respond, aren't they? Well, probably. It, again, the Israelis have been preparing for this for many, many years. And Prime Minister Netanyahu was ready to go and attack Iran's nuclear program some years ago. That was stopped internally. Books have been written about that. I won't go into that right now. But Uh, The Israelis have been seeing this conflict coming for a long, long time. And again, they didn't choose it. They didn't ask for this. They don't want it. They would rather be dealing with just the Palestinians. They would rather be dealing with the central issues that, that they're involved with, Jerusalem and the future of it. This is a force called Al Quds. It's, again, the Arabic name for Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. The aim of the Al Quds revolutionary forces is to destroy the Jewish people, and to destroy the great Satan, America, as well. They've been preparing for this for decades. Uh, It's a serious situation. They've got friends and allies. The Iranians have just been training in the Gulf of Oman and in the Indian Ocean with the Russians and the Chinese. These are their backers. It's a very serious situation, Jimmy. Again, I'm sorry to be emotional, but I was on the air when those Marines were killed, Mm. and we were talking to some of the survivors on the radio. We were the only English radio station at the Voice of Hope in South Lebanon that they could get at that time, apart from the BBC, and we were ministering to them and uh, got uh, letters of appreciation and remarks from them later. So it is, it is on my heart, but this has been a long time coming, Jimmy. I was there when the first suicide attack took place in South Lebanon, sponsored by 
Hezbollah sponsored by Iran. They've been doing this for decades, and here we are. Prayers need to go up uh, like never before, for sure. You would suggest, then, that this would be the number one story if I was to ask you for 2020. No question about it. It happened right at the beginning of the year. But, yes, the showdown with Iran, with ancient Persia, is happening, and uh, other prophecies are about to unfold as well. And we can only thank the Lord that we can thank the Lord that he is there, (laughs) and that's the good news. We can only thank the Lord that we can thank the Lord. Boy, I like that. David Dolan, the man who covers the Middle East for us. David, thank you so very much, my good friend. Happy New Year. We'll talk again real soon. God bless you, Jimmy. Going to take a break, and when we come back, Wiki Madad, we've got a potpourri of things we want to talk to him about. His projection into 2020 as it relates to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? With Rick and Jim's VIP trips, you'll see Israel past, present, and prophetic. Our VIP trips are typically smaller groups of 8 to 12 people. This smaller group size allows us to spend more one-on-one time answering your questions and personalizing our tour. It is a very intimate experience. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not to only visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. We can also customize our trip for your family or small group. Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central on this special edition of Prophecy Today, What's Ahead in 2020. By the way, if you didn't hear me at the beginning of the program, Happy New Year. May you have a blessed new year, you and your family and your work or your ministry, whatever you may well be involved in. We're going to go in just a moment to a very historical location there in the state of Israel with much biblical background, historically, of course, and prophetically as well. It's the location in Israel, in the middle part of the state, a place called Shiloh. And that's where, when the Israelites came into the promised land, they went to this location to build their tabernacle there and place the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle, and it was there for about 350 years. In fact, we're going to be talking about that, the archaeological dig that's going on There at Shiloh recently was able to win the second place prize in the magazine Biblical Archaeology. We'll talk with Winky Madad, our broadcast partner who lives there in Shiloh, former mayor of the location. Winky, what we're doing is having all of our broadcast partners, and you have to be a regular over these many, many years. You've always been faithful to be there for us. We so appreciate that. I want you, and I don't know how difficult this is going to be, but, and I know you're not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I want you to think about the main story as we look at the Temple Mount 
as it relates to this very key location in all of Judaism, the Temple Mount, and uh, the next temple that will be put there. I want you to give us what you project to be the main news story coming out of that current event uh, in this year 2020. What would you have to say to us about that? Well, Jimmy, it's not exactly an event, but it's a phenomenon. The numbers of Jews that are entering into the Temple Mount compound daily and weekly, and then on special times like the Hanukkah eight-day period that we had just recently, or during Passover, or during the uh, Festival of Booths, what we call Sukkot here in Israel, uh, sometimes we're getting 1,500 to 2,000 people a day, depending on the weather or other elements. But over this past year, we're reaching, if I'm not mistaken, close to 30,000 visits of mm. Jews during this time. Now, if you remember, and you surely do, I've always, in talking and discussing the Temple Mount, with all the things that happened and the status quo and some of the judgments in the courts, or that opening of the uh, mosque in the uh, gate, uh, the Golden Gate, the Gate of Redemption, etc., I always said that we're still on the process of educating people and raising consciousness, and the more people we have involved, the better it will be. So I would have to say that if, uh, if I had to point to one thing that happened over 2019, it would be the tremendous growth, percentage-wise, of course, of Jews entering in, and not only visiting, but, you know, undergoing all the necessary rituals, such as going to the mikvah and not wearing leather shoes, in order to be as restrictive as possible according to Jewish ritual. And then you could project into 2020, that would continue to be the main story, and is it a viable prediction is everything prepared for that to happen and this be the main training portion of that preparation in order to have that temple on the Temple Mount? Jimmy, the answer, of course, is positive. Uh, we're getting anywhere between two and three brides on the day or the day before their wedding coming up on the Temple Mount as an act of uh, observance, if I can call it that way. Now, I don't want to belabor our, our listeners, but brides always go, Jewish brides, of course, always go to what we call the mikveh, the, the ritual pool of water, uh, before their wedding. And that's when they're able to go up, because otherwise they wouldn't be ritually pure. Bar mitzvah boys, Jewish young men at the age of 13, uh, to celebrate their bar mitzvah now, are including a visit to the Temple Mount as part of their process. So if you begin to see how this grows and extends, we have a good possibility of, of really increasing the mass, the, what we would call, I guess, in physics, the critical mass of, of people who are becoming much more familiar with and much concerned with uh, things that are going up on the Temple Mount. Winky, is there anything that could stop this prediction from happening in 2020? Do you foresee any governmental activity or violent activity stopping it? Violent activity, no. Uh, it could limit it for a, a day or two or maybe even a week. But I must say that, of course, if, if the new government coming up 
is not a Likud-led government. I mean, one of the major factors here, and it's no secret, is that the Minister of Public Security, Mr. Gilad Argan, is very favorably inclined. And so the police officers and the policemen, the regular policemen, they take their lead from the minister. And if the minister says, listen, I don't want to uh, hear from you that you can't let Jews up on the Temple Mount, you know, push the walk aside, tell them this or that or something like that. Or if there's 50 in a group and one or two uh, exclaim something out loud, so, you know, take them away, but don't break up the group or things of that nature. But if it's another political party, one of the center or the center left, I cannot assure you, Jimmy, uh, that this situation will continue as natural as it seems today. It will continue, but not in the same numbers. Let me make myself more exact. Let me just talk about that for a moment, the political situation, the next election, the beginning of March, and this will be the third in a 12-month period of time. And the Prime Minister, Netanyahu, has recently asked the Knesset to give him immunity from the indictment. And, of course, as we understand the basic law there in Israel— You cannot remove a prime minister who has even been indicted, but if he's not been found guilty, he continues to follow on. I think the Supreme Court made that decision as well recently. What about this immunity the prime minister is asking for? What the prime minister is asking for is not to be released from the the criminal charges that have been tabled before the court. In any case, Whenever he finishes his term of office, or if he's not elected, he will go to trial. We're not saying uh, that uh, he's not ever to be dealt with properly by the arms of the law. What he's saying is that uh, a government minister, or more properly, I should say, the prime minister, cannot be removed from office simply because he has to go to trial. What happens if he's proven not guilty? Who's who's going to who's going to return him to office at that time? What he's saying is, as long as I am prime minister, right? You'll just have to wait for the trial. If the public, the voting public, thinks I'm a criminal, a scoundrel, uh, whatever term you want to use, they won't vote for me. I, I I get my power from the democratic vote of the people, just as the people will not believe me if I say I can bring them economic prosperity or they can't believe me that I can bring peace and will not vote for me. They won't vote for me because they think I'm a thief or a scoundrel or whatever else you want to say. Okay, that's the people's choice. But the court, to intervene in the, in the, in the moment and halt everything and throw him out of the political process is unfair because, technically speaking, he could be innocent. And then what do you do? You know, that's a very logical approach to understanding really what the Prime Minister has asked for. There are those that have been voicing their opinion. They're opposed to this type of a situation. Is that enough problem to stop it from happening, or do you see it playing out and going at least to the next election? Well, Jimmy, first of all, he has to get immunity. That's a Knesset vote. That may not be uh, assured 100% at this moment. I, myself, personally, Jimmy, spoke last week with Avigdor Lieberman. I was at the uh, uh, morning period visit to uh, Tzachi Hanegbi, who's a minister 
in this government, his mother, for whom I worked for, had passed away. And I grabbed his hand, and I spoke to him, and I said, we have to do this together, with unity. <laughs> with and he knew exactly what I was talking about. So I, I can even say on behalf of our conversation tonight, Jimmy, I tried to do as much as possible uh, to bring about unity in the political process here. But I'm only one person. Well, we can understand the caliber of broadcast partner that we have on this program, like Winky Madad, invaluable down through these years. Well, one final thought with you, Winky, before I let you go. I understand that the dig there at Shiloh with the tabernacle, the location of that Ark of the Covenant for many years, I understand it won the second prize from the magazine Biblical Archaeology, and that's quite an achievement, is it not? Yes, it is. We're talking about, so far, uh, a third uh, year of excavation at the Tell of Shiloh, the archaeological mound of Shiloh, by Dr. Scott Stripling from uh, Texas, who leads a consortium of uh, Christian universities and colleges. Uh, and they've been digging here, as I said, for three years. Uh, just recently, in fact, he was here for two and a half to three weeks, going through some of the material that was thrown away, uh, or, or I wouldn't want to say thrown away, but dumped uh, after the dig of Israel Finkelstein 30-odd years ago, 35 years ago or so. Uh, and he's finding more stuff in that, because he's doing something called wet sifting, but I'll leave that for another program. The find that he found in June was a horn, part of a horned altar. Mm. And as you know, knowing your Bible even better than I, uh, here I congratulate you, <laughs> the altars in biblical times had what we call horns or pointed corners. And uh, this was not just in a field, but was in a building that had been within the, the old or the ancient Shiloh city uh, wall. Mm. So you're talking about something that belonged very close to the tabernacle, or some other reason, but very close to saying biblical narrative is being confirmed. Wow. Boy, that is a very great report. So interesting as well. I can hardly wait to get back to Israel and come out and visit with you and have you give me a personal tour of the dig that is going on there. And let me say congratulations to you and all of those who live there in Shiloh and all those working on the day. Well, thank you so much, Winky. I appreciate it as it relates to the American and the Christian New Year. Happy New Year to you. May it be a, a blessed year, and may we have many conversations in the future. Jimmy, we should all have 2020 vision. Thank you very much for having me on the program. And again, to you and yours and everybody who's listening, a wonderful new year. Well, we're changing regions of the world now. We go over to the European Union, a major region. When you think about the prophetic scenario that is found in Bible prophecy, and the desire, I believe, of the European Union would be to become the old Roman Empire. That may not be their desire, but as the Lord, Revelation seventeen seventeen, puts into the hearts of these European Union leaders, we're going to see that take place. That is absolute 
It is the prophetic word of God. John, I'm going to ask you to give us a special headline for 2020. We'll do that in a moment, but I've got to start with what we're focusing on, the assassination of General Soleimani, who is the man who was leading up the international terrorist organization called the Revolutionary Guard there in Iran, most likely the number two man in that country. How is the European Union responding? Well, this has been such a major development. I'm sure you as well are covering with other weekly guests. Indeed, he's regarded as the second most powerful figure in Iran after the Ayatollah. And the European Union has been very quick to respond naturally. The German government spokesman said that this is a dangerous uh, escalation. The British foreign minister says, although the U.K. has always recognized the aggressive threat uh, posed by Soleimani, but yet a further conflict is in none of our interests. So the EU really sees this particular strike as another issue that's splitting the U.S. from its European allies, and it as well is seen as a threat to the 2015 nuclear deal that the EU is still struggling to salvage. Donald Tusk, the former president of the European Council, he's made a statement saying for Europe and the U.S. to maintain transatlantic unity in the face of the approaching political earthquake, which would be Iran's response. And so there has been escalation. The current European Council president, now just in in November, Charles Michel, says further escalation must be avoided at all costs, and there's a general flare-up now. There's a risk of flare-up of violence in the entire region. Well, are you alluding to the fact that you say the European Union is basically not really standing with the United States and Israel on this situation. That's what I seem to be hearing. Is my hearing correct? Yo, absolutely, absolutely. Europe is taking an opposing side to the United States for these very reasons and concerns. So uh, where does that lead? It just leads for more splitting between the United States and its European allies. Okay, we've covered that story to an extent. We'll have to continue talking about this particular issue in future programs because I don't think uh, Iran's going to go away any place. Give us your top story for 2020 from your perspective and the European Union. Well, Jimmy, you know I'm very big on following trends, and so the trends follow the timeline as well. 2020, we'll certainly see... All of the internal and external stresses continue. The biggest story, of course, 2019 was Brexit. So what is the aftermath of Brexit? So we could say right now the question of 2020 for the European Union would be who's next? When will there be another nation that will choose a referendum to leave the EU? which is almost a certainty. We, you know, remember 2015, Greece was expected that they, they could leave. 2018, we saw Italy and Poland. 2019, uh, Sweden had a tendency there as well. The United Kingdom Express newspaper came out with a list saying that their top eight nations for leaving the EU next would be Greece, Italy, Sweden, France, Hungary, Ireland, Czech Republic, and Denmark. So, I mean, this is a this is a 
possibility, although, of course, putting in the 2020 framework. Now, what will be the EU response in 2020? I'm expecting this would be my story to watch out for, is a multi-speed Europe to be increased, a multi-tiered membership, for example, bringing into the EU more of these divisions, but in clearly defined cases to see how they will deal with these particular issues of centralized power, federalism, and uh, steps to a super state. So the crises are always there, the euro, the debt, immigration. But now I believe we're going to see a strengthening of different tiers, different levels inside Europe, which will uh, facilitate this movement towards political union. And let me ask you, would this be a great headline over the next two years, the European Union going to decide its future? And, of course, we would suggest that of the revived Roman Empire. Is that pretty much on target? Well, yes, the French uh, President Macron has called for a conference to begin this year, the Conference for the Future of Europe. Now, being uh, insider of this for many years, this is not a new thing. In fact, <laughs> I've seen this come through with the Conference for the Future of Europe more than once. And it's over and over. It's the same thing. It's typical. They say we recognize the problems. We need democratic reforms. We're going to listen to you. We're going to have ways for the citizens and to make input. And then they go right ahead and do what they want to do. <laughs> so what we can see in these two years will be a formation which will really be what is the lowest common denominator for the nations to go towards a political union? That's what we can expect. And, of course, ultimately, the revival of the old Roman Empire, Daniel chapters 2 and 7. John, you're key to our discussions each and every week. Thank you for what you've done in 2019, 2020. I'm sure we'll have some very exciting discussions in our conversations. Thank you so much, my good friend, and Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year. We'll stay, of course, on top of that story. I want to focus just a bit differently now with my next guest, longtime friend, Dr. Randall Price. I refer to him all the time as Randy, but of course he is sophisticated now because he is the distinguished professor of biblical and Judaica uh, studies at Liberty University there in Lynchburg, Virginia. And Randy, you have your own ministry as well. You travel, you take tours to Israel, you do archaeological digs, helping us to prove the fact that God's Word is absolute when you take in the archaeological information you're able to give us and others. This is just simply adding to all that we understand as it relates to the Bible and it being the absolute Word of God. Now, that basically is the theme that I wanted to have a conversation with you about, Randy. Chuck Todd, who uh, leads up the Meet the Press program on the NBC network this last week, alluded to a letter that he had received from someone, I think that was published in a newspaper in Kentucky or thereabouts, and it referred to Noah and the flood as a fairy tale. Now, I know that you have a search for Noah's Ark going on there at Mount Ararat in Turkey. I want to talk to you about that, but first of all, let's respond to 
the fact that Noah and the flood would be a fairy tale. What biblical evidence do we have, and why would you say that is wrong? Well, first, uh, we have evidence when it comes to simply the, the genealogical record. The Bible tells us that when you look at human populations, about 6,000 years ago, we have the first population through Adam and Eve. So that is the biblical chronology, genealogies. Uh, about 4,500 years ago, we realized there was a sort of a bottleneck genetically because after the Great Flood, you had the, the reduction of the human race down to just eight people, and it starts again with them. And so that kind of thing should be able to be found within actual DNA uh, studies. And every one of these accounts, uh, from the Bible to the ancient Near Eastern to around the world, are all recording a global event. So something happened, and we know from these other studies that when it happened, and it, again, dovetails what the Bible says. And, you know, it's very interesting. You can't just say, well, Genesis is a flawed book, or it's... Uh, no, the whole of the Old Testament cites the flood. The New Testament, Jesus, the apostles, all cite the flood. So it's either the whole Bible or it's no Bible when you come to the flood account. I might just say one more thing, Jimmy, it's very important. Uh, they have been looking with undersea devices, cartographers have, and uh, National Geographic is one that's been involved in the project doing this. And recently, in the Indian Ocean, they found a, a submerged continent. They knew that it was there, but they'd never done much with it. Now they have dredged uh, pieces of material up from the continent, and they surprised the scientists because normal seabeds will have basalt rock. These rocks that came up were granite and ness and sandstone. Those are only found on continents, and some of them had fossils as well. Well, these have come from 8,200 feet down. Uh, what are you doing with a continent down there with fossils in it? Uh, mm -hmm. The only explanation for something like that would have to be a global flood. So we have these small evidences, but then you have major scientific studies. Uh, someone like Andrew Snelling did a two-volume work on a very detailed work on the flood. These kind of things are available to people who are not biased but are willing to look at the evidence that exists. Yeah, well, I'm sure Chuck Todd is, to some extent, a bit biased about the whole issue itself. Talk briefly, if you will, Randy, tell us what is going on with your research there at Mount Ararat, and you're looking for the ark itself. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm the archaeologist attached to uh, the exploration team that has been using satellite data, uh, which is probably the best way right now to do this. You have not only a 17,000-foot mountain, if we're talking about Mount Ararat, has a permanent ice cap year-round. But you also have a very conflicted situation with the Kurds that dominate that mountain and the Turks who are trying to basically remove them from the, the, the Turkish map anyway. We've been doing this. We've also brought various types of remote sensing geophysicists who work with us and who bring both ground penetrating radar and seismic resistivity and old mappers and things like this. And, uh, there's no doubt that we have found things there. We have done excavations on the top of the, uh, one site, uh, have not been successful there. We have a lower site, which we followed due to an eyewitness. Uh, that was a shepherd. I've worked with him uh, extensively. Uh, there's just no sense of him trying to lie. He's not getting money for this. He's very much 
events that when he was younger he saw a structure, uh, a certain part of the mountain. We've been with him there. Uh, it's buried. Cannot get to it, but uh, we have every intention to try to do that. We've done some more work with the satellites, and I've got some good data. Our problem is the last four years, we've been, it's been prohibited to get into this area of Turkey. Three years ago, there was a coup that was staged, and Erdogan, uh, basically the, the Turkish general that had helped us get all our permits, was found to be on the wrong side of the coup, at least accused of that and thrown into prison. Uh, they threw a lot of academics, threw a lot of uh, newspaper media people into to prison. Just anyone that Erdogan felt, you know, would not have had his back, because he wants to revive the Ottoman Empire. He wants to do a number of things, and the result is he's made Islam more stringent and certainly more radical. So we were put on a no-fly list. I couldn't even get into the country the last three years. Now I was removed from that list this year, uh, but some of our other team have not been removed. And we're, we're waiting and hoping to get back to our excavation next year. Well, indeed, if uh, your team were able to be able to expose the ark, that would shut down all naysayers for sure. But uh, what's thrilling to me, Matthew 24, verse 37, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, he confirmed that it's going to be the same way when he returns to the earth. Randy, thank you so much for your work and uh, your ministry, and thank you for having a conversation with us today. Appreciate it. We're going to take a break, and when we come back on the other side, we're going to be talking with David James, looking at trends as we look into 2020. That's all ahead, right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to this special edition of Prophecy Today. Looking into 2020, each of our broadcast partners telling us what the main headline is going to be. And the main headline today, the assassination or elimination of General Soleimani, who was the head of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard. We'll continue to cover this story, especially in the next couple of weeks, as we wait for Iran to retaliate. Here's my poll question. Hope you'll answer it with all the current events happening in our world today that seem to fit into the prophetic scenario that is found in the Bible. Do you believe that the rapture could happen in 2020? I can tell you the answer. It's yes. Go to my website. Answer the poll question. It's on the home page on the left-hand column. And while there, look at Joshua Travel. We have about eight tours planned for 2020 in the Middle East, all the lands of the Bible. Again, that address, prophecytoday.com. We now bring to this microphone David James for our weekly conversation. And David, as we begin to have this conversation, you're on the way out the door for your first ministry trip of the new year. As I understand it, you're really hitting the ground running this time. Well, that's right, Jimmy. Well, happy 2020, first of all. After close to 30 hours of travel, I'll be arriving in the Philippines for two weeks of ministry and will arrive at Word of Life around midnight, about seven hours before my first class begins, <laughs> which is kind of a tough way to get started, but we'll make it. And I, I'll have another pastor with me, Don Trash from Past Christian Mississippi, with me, with hopes of him getting to know the Word of Life staff and perhaps into the teaching rotation there. And one of his nine children will be traveling uh, with him on his first international trip 
and he's already planning on going to a Bible Institute next year, so this could be the one. And the next weekend, we'll fly down to one of Philippines' uh, 7,000 islands, where Word of Life Second Camp is located on the main southern island of Mindanao, where we'll be doing more ministry. Uh, it's an amazing ministry overall, the two locations, with some thirty to 40,000 campers coming to one of the two camps or one of the few satellites locations that we they've started. Then we'll head back to the main campus for another busy week where I'll be teaching signs, wonders, and the charismatic movement, as well as a course on graphics and PowerPoint design. This will be something like my 13th trip to the Philippines, and as a reminder to our listeners, we rely on their faithful giving to our ministry. We're relying on our ministry partners. Each one of these ministry trips averages around fifteen to $1,600 each, and I've been informed that there are still just a few more days to give uh, toward tax credit in 2020 if they would still like to partner for us for the 2019 uh, tax year. Well, that is always a great opportunity for people to see their support really reach into parts of the world where it's needed to win people to Jesus Christ. Oh, by the way, Happy New Year to you. You always get me on that. Last time you said Merry Christmas before I did. Now you get me at the new year as well. Well, David, you know one of the tougher things by doing the first broadcast of the year is trying to look ahead and out of all the many stories that we could follow and figure out which one we think will become the biggest and most important news that will be made in this coming year. You know, as I've thought about this, Jimmy, I think we could almost take a play from the Weather Channel guys. They look at the conditions on the ground, they get out all their computer models, gather all their data, then they put on a blindfold and start throwing darts, hoping they get at least some of the right some of the time. But as we talked last week, the advantage is that we have a general roadmap in the Word of God about where this is all going and how this is going to play out. And I'm hoping we'll end up doing a better job than uh, the weathermen do in putting this all together. You know, for political and news junkies like you and I are, 2019 sure was full of a lot of important stories every week, and 2020 is already off to a start that makes Bible teachers want to get up in the morning and just to see what the Lord's going yeah. to do next. Yeah. Uh, there are certainly any number of potential stories we could talk about, and uh, I sent you a list of some of those that I think will be some of the most important as we look over the year that's ahead of us. One of the most important is obviously the upcoming presidential election, because there's so much at stake when it comes to the shape and direction of our country for years to come. And we could easily get pulled down into the politics, which is exactly what we don't want to do. We're not to promote either political party or individual candidates. But I think we can talk about platforms and trajectories of individuals and those they pull into their spheres of orbits and the type of people who are drawn toward them. You know, I think you and I have a new title, prognosticators. <laughs> That's what those weather guys are. I, I love the way you describe how they give us the weather. They take a dart and throw it with a blindfold on to make sure they don't know where to even throw the dart. Anyway, in preparation for today's discussion, David, you sent me several things for us to consider. And, and you know, it seems that almost every year we need to give at least some attention to growing anti-Semitism, which, by the way, just never seems to let up. 
Well, as you mentioned, anti-Semitism is always a story to watch. Back in April, the AP ran an article uh, titled Anti-Semitic Attack Spike killing most Jews in decades, and this was after assaults on Jews had risen by 18% in 2018. The American Defense League website noted the worst incidents of last year with hate crimes from assault to a vandalism uh, reported really all across the world in Canada, in Poland, Turkey, Argentina, Austria, Czech Republic, England, France, Germany, Russia, and and you just name it all across the world. And, of course, we've all been following what's been happening in the news when just a few days ago we all heard about the Orthodox rabbi being stabbed with a machete five times at a Hanukkah celebration in New York City. You know, Jimmy, this is a spiritual battle, and it's ramping up physically, but it's also ramping up theologically, uh, even in our churches and sometimes in our conservative evangelical churches. Yes, that is absolute. You mentioned that anti-Semitism is growing around the world, but not just in acts of violence, also in changing theology. What do you mean by that? Well, it's no surprise that Satan is an enemy of the Jewish people and the existence of the Jewish state, that's for sure. And the most obvious place it shows up are in the forms of the violent physical attacks and discrimination, and those things take place around the world every day. Uh, But that isn't happening in a vacuum. You know, historically, conservative evangelicals have been the best friends that Israel and the Jewish people have ever had. And even this past Sunday on the Mark Levin show, he had John Hagee on there, and they had a good discussion. We don't agree with Hagee on everything, but he had a great discussion with Mark Levin about these very things and this support. You know, through the centuries, uh, the Church had come to the conclusion that because the Jewish people rejected their Messiah and it conspired with the Romans to put Jesus of Nazareth to death, that God had permanently rejected his people. And they concluded that the promises that God had made to the patriarchs and to David and through the prophets for a future king would never be fulfilled in a literal way. And not only does the world see it this way, many in the Church have allowed replacement theology drive politics in this country and around the world. It is true that the King of the Jews was rejected by his own people. For example, in John chapter 1, we read that he came to his own and they didn't receive him. But in Romans 11, 1, we read this. Paul says, I say then, has God cast away his people? And he answers, certainly not, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. So any movement in theology or practice within the Church, including evangelicalism, is setting itself against God himself and his people. You know, that passage there in Romans you just referred to, is a very key passage if you're a student of Bible prophecy. And in fact, with Romans 11, include Romans 9 and 10. Romans 9 is Israel past, chapter 10, Israel present, and chapter 11, Israel future. Thank you for referring to that particular portion of Scripture. Dear friend, you might want to spend some time studying those three chapters. Well, then this actually leads us up to the biggest stories of 2019, the presidential election. And this is actually going to continue all the way to November in 2020. We've come into the new year with a House still holding 
the two articles of impeachment that they passed just before Christmas, and then a democratic feel that seems to run from liberal to ultra-liberal. What's a believer to do, David? Well, very few people would argue that Washington is out of control. And as we follow state and local news, we, we see that this extends to those levels as well. A few days ago, I was participating in a Facebook group uh, where someone was arguing that we shouldn't have to vote for the lesser of two evils. In fact, the title of the meme was, Is It Possible to Choose a Lesser Evil? Isn't it always choosing an evil? And so I, I stepped in, and, and I responded on that Facebook post, and this is what I wrote. Every vote that was ever cast for a sinful person running for office, since we're all sinners, was always a choice between the lesser of two evils. Even if I only have a choice between corrupt politicians and one is running on a platform that kills babies indiscriminately for profit and for convenience, it's really a no-brainer. And to choose not to vote, is an abdication of a God-given responsibility because God ordains governments, and by definition, in a representative republic like ours, we are part of that government, because at the best, it fails to cancel the vote of the person voting for the greater evil. You know, that was some very thought-provoking information you gave to that Facebook group that you had together there. Man, that that's good thinking. I'm going to have to consider that myself, because Sometimes I have difficulty because of the evil on both sides of the uh, the presidential election field. Well, what are some of the principles, David, as we conclude our conversation, that believers can put into practice every day going into the new year with so many uncertainties? Well, I think there are several principles that we really must always keep in mind. First, Our first responsibility is to the Lord. No matter what happens around us, we can allow the world to take us closer or further from Him in our daily walk with Him. You know, He is our rock. He's our shelter in our time of storm. He will never leave nor forsake us, and we need to spend time getting to know Him better through His Word and allowing His Spirit to guard our hearts and minds. I would say our second responsibility is to our family. Our family is a gift from God. It's a treasure. Paul says that the one who doesn't care for his family is worse than an unbeliever, and we need to care to do our best to meet their needs spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And for some, this will mean welcoming new children and grandchildren into the world. For some, it will mean having done our best and now letting them go into the world to start their own families. And for some, it means watching them slip away into eternity. And concerning those, for some we have a joy in knowing we'll see family again if they were believers in the Lord, and for others, and we're not sure where they are, we can trust that someone along the way touched their heart and they trusted in Christ with their last breath. And then our third responsibility, I would say, is to all those around us, beginning with our church family and to our neighbors and to our communities and even to our world. We need to be salt and light. We need to be consistent in our testimony, because our testimony and our reputation for a believer is the same thing. We pray for those in leadership, and we thank the Lord for those that God has given to keep us safe. David, that's an excellent list of what we need to consider as we go into this new year. And may I suggest, friend, if you were listening to this conversation, 
David and I talk pretty quickly when we have our conversation, so you may want to go back and re-listen to this one. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. There go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. There you'll be able to hear what David and I actually had to say. David, I am going to be praying, and our friends will be praying that God will provide the funds for you to get out to the Philippines, that you'll have a safe trip out there, and of course, a very fruitful ministry in that part of the world. By the way, do me a favor, give our greetings to all the guys out there, and may it be a just a fruitful time of ministry for you and your friends who are going to be traveling out there. We'll have another conversation, I guess, next time from the Philippines. Lord willing, thanks so much. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, after everybody making their statements to me today in our conversations, we're going to open the Bible, take a look at the book. It's all ahead, right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, our lead story on this first broadcast of Prophecy Today in 2020 is the assassination or the elimination of General Soleimani, the top military leader in Iran. Now, I say the top military leader, Soleimani, is most likely the top leader in the Iranian regime. With our broadcast partners today, we got the insight from the United States, the European Union, and the Jewish State of Israel. 
you need to make sure that you hear all of these reports from our broadcast partners. If you missed any of these reports, go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and there you can listen or re-listen to these reports. That's prophecytoday.com, PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and be sure to tell a friend so that they can also hear these very important reports. Ken's report was that Trump's decision was at the right time. Dave Dolan said that the Israeli Defense Force is on high alert for an Iranian attack, and John Rood reported that the European Union reaction further divides the European Union and the United States as it relates to Iran. These broadcast partners focused on Soleimani's death. Ken's report revealed that intel information from what's going on in the Middle East that Soleimani had come to Iraq to direct more attacks on U.S. diplomats and U.S. personnel. Dave's report said that the Israeli Defense Force is ready to respond and protect from any Iranian attack. Remember, Iran is Israel's number one enemy. And John Rood revealed that the divide between the European Union and the United States over the issue of Iran became larger. However, biblically, when you look at this whole situation, Iran is a major player in the end times. Now, that would be according to Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 5, where Persia is Iran of today. Daniel chapter 11, verse 44, talks about murmurings out of the east, and that is referring to Iran as well there in the Daniel passage. Iran will be a major player in the alignment of nations. This takes place after the rapture of the church, and then these Islamic nations, that's the lowest common denominator in this alignment, they form a coalition to try to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Psalm 83 and verse 4 says they come out of their council meeting and they say, let's destroy the Jewish state of Israel that her name be forgotten forever. This prophetic scenario is absolute. It's God's word and it will happen and it could happen very soon, indicating that the rapture could be very soon as well. You must remember, chronologically, it's the rapture and then the confirmation of a peace treaty, Daniel 9:27, which starts the clock ticking on the seven-year tribulation period. The Antichrist appears, confirms a peace agreement, and according to Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 8 and verse 11, in a time of peace when the Jewish people are dwelling safely in their land because of their believing the lie of the Antichrist, they lay down their weapons, and these nations, which will be made up of Russia as the leader, Iran as a major player, and the other Middle Eastern and Islamic nations coming to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Our other broadcast partners had important stories as well to report on. Winky Madad gave us a forecast for 2020 and the rebuilding of the temple. 
the increase of prayer on the Temple Mount is training for the Jewish worshipers for the coming temple. That temple will be erected on the Temple Mount. According to the scriptures, Daniel 9, 27, Matthew 24, 15, when Jesus Christ refers to the Daniel passage and says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel 9, look up, it's about to happen. That's the return, not the rapture, which will take place before that. Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 and 2 confirms there will be a temple on the Temple Mount as well. Dr. Randall Price talked to me about what Chuck Todd said on Meet the Press this last weekend. He said that Noah and the flood was a fairy tale. Well, that's not accurate according to the Bible. And what about Jesus Christ? Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 37 says, As it was in the days of Noah, he confirmed the flood and Noah. And then David James and I had our weekly conversation, a look at the future trends for 2020. David said anti-Semitism is going to be a player. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 8, two out of every three Jews being killed during the tribulation period. That's the epitome of anti-Semitism. Abortion, the killing of pre-born children, Jeremiah 1.5 says, In the mind of God, not at conception, not at birth, in the mind of God, that's when life begins. And, of course, the presidential election, remember Revelation 17.17. It says that world leaders, led by the Lord, putting in their hearts and minds decisions that will be made, political decisions, that will set prophecy in place. David and I concluded with the thought, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, pray for those who are in higher authority. That is what our responsibility is. We should be involved in electing our political leaders, but we must be involved in praying for those who are in higher authority so we can live a quiet, peaceable, godly life and lead other people to Jesus Christ. All of these reports indicative of the soonness of the rapture of the church, which is the very next event that will happen in God's plan for the future. And by the way, that rapture can happen at any time, maybe even today. And having said that, there's really nothing else for me to say except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.